When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt with Rolling Stone, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. We have with us today a very special guest, Jake Clemens of the E Street Band. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, hey. I'm doing great. Yeah, happy to be on the show. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Great to have you here. And uh, you have a new solo album out. Yeah, it's uh, it's called Fear and Love, and it's, uh, it's my first full-length record, and I'm super excited about it. Fear and Love. So basically, like, Everything, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's it, in my in my in my mind anyway. Like, it, fear and love are like our most primitive emotions that we can experience, and uh, so there's an aspect of just um, I don't know the vulnerability of life. Um, but more specifically, uh, it's a it's not a biography in a sense of uh, coming out of a hard relationship, like having to recognize what a bad relationship is, and and recovering from that, and uh, having some own you know your own personal recovery. Uh, for who you are and and then finding a way to to embrace uh what love is supposed to be you know yeah it's a very pretty sounding album uh that is about some painful stuff it's an interesting combination you're you're not yelling and screaming about it (laughs) no no i you know i want to have a really honest approach and and be really vulnerable with the record um you know so i was able to compile it into a, a side one and side two and um and really get into the, you know, I guess my most intimate and sincere feelings uh, on side one um, and, and you know, hoping to express if there was pain then the, the way that pain uh, felt and, and the challenge of reconciling it. Um, but straight into side two, uh, which is breaking free of that and um, starting a new journey um, uh, that was going to be open to uh, exploring the beauties of, of, of what love has offered for myself and for uh, someone else. Now, uh, you know, this record is not an hour of you playing saxophone. <laughs> you, you, you sing and, and play guitar. Uh, how did, what came first? The sax, the singing, the playing? How did that work growing up? Like, what, what, mm-hmm. what was your development? Uh, I often say that music was my first language. You know, we grew up with it in the home very, very heavily. So uh, it's just something that happened. Um, it wasn't until I saw the E Street Band play for the first time when I was eight years old that uh, that sax was even a thought, you know. And it was only a purely vain moment where uh, I heard the eruption of applause for my beloved uncle um, <laughs> that I said to myself, like, oh, my God, people really love the saxophone and decided that that's what I wanted it to do. And uh, my dad huh. was wise enough um, and dad enough to say, you can play the saxophone after you play the piano. so that was my first instrument and that's where I started and uh everything else was born from that it was a great beginning because it's a it's a perfect perfect introduction to what music is so you 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 see the you see a saxophone on a stage in an arena which where was this show uh North Carolina in North Uh, Carolina which is where you grew up the Tunnel of Love tour um we lived there briefly okay yeah um and, and tunnel of love tour so you but you see the you know the effect a saxophone can have in a E Street band show in an arena um you're eight years old that's right yeah Yeah. and then you work (laughs) and then you go 
back to the basics of music, work from piano, mm-hmm. and work for years, and then end up on stage with the E Street Band playing the saxophone. That's, I mean, that's got to be one of the craziest stories in all of music. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a yeah, it's a strange story, you know, and it's one that I never anticipated or desired necessarily. Yeah. You know, um, I was very very happy and content. Um, you know, like just making my own discoveries and, you know, piano, like I said, was a great foundation, um, to understand the fundamentals of music. It led me into saxophone as eventually a lot to play, but having a, a wind instrument, um, at, you know, at my fingertips and, and a piano led into other things like guitar and drums and whatever else. So, uh, you know, this language that I grew up speaking as a young child, I was enabled to be more articulate with, with, with different instruments, um, Going into songwriting was like a great tool, you know? Yeah. Uh, so where did you grow up mostly? My dad was in the Marine Corps, so I was uh, born in Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, which is where Paris Island is, which is the Marine Corps boot camp on the East Coast. And uh, we, you know, after a short stint there, uh, moved to Hawaii, and we were there for two tours, if you will. Uh, and then uh, North Carolina, then Virginia, then California, then back to Virginia, then Utah, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> wow, how how did that affect you moving around like that? Uh it was great. Uh you know, in terms of like helping me to make friends quickly and um live in the moment and appreciate, you know, what I have in the moment and then to be able to move away from the moment, you know. Uh that I guess became uh a simple thing as well, as well. you know, it's when you're living in one place for a short time, uh you make friends and, and it's great, but then it's time to go. So it it was a great setup for tour life, I should say. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, you you, you ended up re- recreating that existence. Um, but was your father musical at all? My dad was a band director for the Marine Corps band. Oh, okay. Um, and very celebrated for that as well. Uh, you know, it's funny because like uh, Clarence Clemens Day is something that uh, was initiated a few years ago uh, on his birthday. Right, so it was uh, Clarence Clemens Day is January 11th. Um, it never hit me quite so hard until uh the last couple of years that, to realize that in hawaii there's a day named after my father wow uh that was 30 years ago um because of what he had you know given to the community as a band director uh, really significant but that's crazy you know like as a living person to have that yeah happen. yeah yeah but basically there's a lot of musical talent in, in your in just in your family like it's, it's pretty widespread i guess yeah, it, when they can finally pinpoint that in the genes um yeah i would imagine that it's uh it's pretty thick in the blood there when did you when and how did you become aware of assuming before that show of 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 your uncle's kind of fame and talent and place in the the musical world uh that took a long time to be honest with you you know um Clarence was, uh, you know, he's my uncle and, and that's just what I knew. Right. So, um, and, uh, and the rest of the band, you know, like the, they were his family too, you know, so then they, they were my family. So, um, it seemed normal to hear people that you knew on the radio. I figured that, you know, as a kid, you don't really question those things. It's just what you know. Right. Um, so it took a long time for that to kind of sink in, I guess, you know, like, you know, you, someone's dad is special because they're a cop. Yeah, yeah. You know, like when you're 10 years old, it's like, oh man, their dad is a police officer or a, or a firefighter, you know? Um, yeah, it, it was the same kind of sense for me. I, it, it took a long time for me to really understand the depths and significance of what it meant, not just for um, a community of music lovers, but like for culture as a whole. 
So what were you up to for most of like your 20s? <laughs> oh man, all kinds of things. Uh, geez, I, you know, I, I, I toured for a bit. I did television for a bit. I did uh, uh, like advertising for a bit. Uh, and uh, like, even like, like music for advertising, or like you no, worked in advertising. Like I yeah. worked in advertising. I, <laughs> I, was, I was a creative uh, uh, director of, uh, of new business for uh, for for an advertising firm. Huh. And uh, and then I got like my uh, insurance license and and did uh, estate planning for a bit. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I I've had a really strange. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a very curious person. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and want to, you know, I often want to see what I'm capable of, if you will. Um, and, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of things around that. I was, music's what, what's always been natural to me. I love being on tour, but it's also a thing that scared me because I, I watched, uh, beyond the glorious things that it gave Clarence, I watched, uh, and so, you know, I was able to see some of the not so glorious things as well, you know, um, the series of heartbreaks and, um, and struggle with, uh, you know, relationships, you know, and, and like what it, what it can do to, a, a an, a, an immediate family, you know, a, a nucleus and, um, that intimidated me. It, it, yeah. I, I had to reconcile that. And that's actually a, a big part of reconciling the, that fears is, is, uh, is, is, is a big part of what's on this record even. So that just the thing of, you know, you try to be a family man, but you jot your job involves, you know, possibly going to Australia for a month and then six mm-hmm. months, every, that kind of thing, basically that, and the pull of the, the, the a very different lifestyle. Yeah. You know, like I, I, nobody wants to have failures behind them, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, I was afraid of that, you know, like, life is what it is, you know? And I guess that that's what I had to finally just embrace and just say that like, um, I'm going to be okay with like, recognizing uh what is my like rightfully my fear and 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 then reconciling that but also recognizing what is not rightfully my fear you know like like the the things that uh that affected my uncle's life don't necessarily need to affect my life in the same way you know right. like, those aren't mine you know uh we can celebrate the wins and and recognize the losses but um uh you know, at the, at, the, at the end of the day, like anything else, like you've got to stand on your own two feet and recognize that like you're not, you might be standing in someone else's footprints, but you're not standing in anyone else's shoes. Right. Um, so you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm here with Jake Clemens and we'll be right back with more. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So we were talking about Clarence and, you know, you mentioned he, he had some pitfalls in his lifestyle and he was, I mean, he, he, you know, I mean, <laughs> pretty famously like was a hard partier. He lived a big life. He had a lot of different women coming in, in his life. And that, that's, I guess what you're, what you're talking about. Well, you know, I, 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 I don't want to dare, like dare be, be critical of, of him of in, his, in his own essence. Yeah. Um, I just knew that it's not something that I wanted for myself, you know? And, uh, all that being said, he he was a man with an enormous amount of love, like an ability to love, and this incredible nature to um, 
help other people understand that they were indeed understood. You know, like his music even conveyed that, and uh, it was an enormous gift. And um, uh, there's there's a quote that uh, my girlfriend's father actually uh, introduced me to that says like, um, uh, "Your greatest strengths are um, it's like the adverse of your differences. Uh, sorry, uh, of your uh, faults. Right. Uh, you know, so like." you can't have it all you know like you're gonna it's great if you're if you're the greatest then you're also gonna be the worst you know <laughs> yeah i mean there's all people people don't necessarily have like close relationships with their with their uncle you know it's like some yeah. people you know that they're they're there you see them when you see them in your case like how how close were you what was your relationship like how did it develop like you yeah know, how, well you know like my dad was in the marine corps and uh you know very strict southern baptist background um and uh i don't know i think because of the nature of who i am as an individual um and we we had a lot of differences you know um i was not like i, I was not one that could ever be in a marching band you know that's just not something that uh it would just grind against like who i am as a person right um that being said you know like clarence and i I again, like I felt like he understood me, you know, uh-huh. um, and I did not feel that from my dad, uh, you know. So uh, it was a really significant relationship in that way, you know. Like it, Clarence was invaluable to my existence, um, and knowing that there was a man who understood me and uh, and cared about me, and uh, would also help to guide my experience uh, very passively, you know. How so? Um, well, by asking questions and listening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and did he, how aware was he of your, of your music making and, 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 uh, and, and, and also like the, the sax specifically, when did you get serious about the sax? I was serious from the sax. Okay. Like, like from, from the, the start. Get-go. Like but you were doing piano first. Before I was able be... to play saxophone, I was serious about the saxophone. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but, uh, yes, you know, so he, he was, uh, you know, a big asset in that, in that realm as well. He, he gifted me my first saxophone and, uh, and I had a great beginning, uh, of my professional career at a young age because of that. Um, being able to, uh, you know, spend a lot of time practicing because I had one at home and, um, as a songwriter, I was very shy uh, and like nervous as a songwriter. So it took me a long time to let anyone, uh, especially whose opinion I appreciated, uh, you know, like be exposed to my songwriting. Um, I think it was probably, I don't know, 2005, maybe the first time I let him hear a song that I'd, you know, had written. And then the next time would have been like 2007, probably. You know, like it, it wasn't something that I uh, uh, put out there a lot. But his response to it all was inc- incredibly encouraging. Um, he was a, he was really kind in, in, in offering in his own interviews. You know, people are talking to him about being Clarence Clemens and, and his response. Uh, I was in the room with him and he says, uh, you know, you should actually be talking to my nephew. He's a great songwriter and uh, he's putting together some great things so humbling to hear my uncle say that so were you out on the road with him sometimes as a kid uh in my 20s a lot yeah uh, a lot yeah yeah i was on the road with him a lot so just and like what would you like do all day like what was your what would what was your kind of role just hanging uh, out yeah you know like he would ask me to come on tour yeah. um you know like he he maybe like wasn't feeling great or um we just appreciated each other's company and uh i don't know i loved I still, I mean, like, 
the love that I've had for for him has been tremendous. So like to the point where like I don't know, I just wanted to help and, yeah. and be there and and whatever he needed. You know, like I was happy to uh, I don't know, to be some sense of moral support and uh, you know we had like a a brotherhood beyond like a, a father son relationship. Yeah, um, we understood each other and it was. It, it was a great gift. The songs you were first writing is uh, were they in roughly the style that you're writing in now, or how and and and, who, and what kind of who were your influences as a songwriter? Mm. Um, because of my upbringing with music, growing up in a really strict household where I wasn't allowed to listen to rock and roll at an early age. Oh, it was that strict? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. No, that was the devil's music. Uh, we were allowed to listen to. Uh, uh, gospel and marching band music, um, and uh, John Philip Sousa, you know, like uh, uh, yeah. and, and uh, uh, classical music. You know, that's that's what we had in the house. Um, so uh, when I started listening to rock and roll, it wasn't like a it wasn't a natural thing. I had to kind of acquire a taste for rock music, and and then uh, that spilled into a lot of other different genres. And um, I don't know. I, I I've listened. If you look at my you know my playlist, they're uh, they cover the gambit, you know, um, and I, I I would hope that they all influence my songwriting in some way. I don't tend to write in one genre. Um, I release music as it as it fits, uh, you know, an appropriate theme or whatever. But my writing can go from I don't know house music to uh, bluegrass. You know, yeah. Um, there's some country, there's at least one strongly country flavored song on the on the record. Yeah. Uh, what was that one called? Though? Sick, broke, and broken. Yeah, I really dug that one. It yeah. Stood out. Yeah. The, the, so, so, is that? I mean, do you listen to a lot of like hardcore country, or is it just more kind of osmosis? I would say it's osmosis. I mean, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm constantly listening to, to different things. Um, yeah, that that track actually, uh, I considered putting a gospel choir on it. You know, huh. there, there's a sense uh, of my roots in that. Uh, and that southern gospel yeah that uh that was almost portrayed through that song uh i decided not to just to serve the record as best as i could but so event i mean the tour that i know you were on before you were like actually in the band was was i think you were you were around for the working on the dream tour that's right in 2009 yeah um and so was that the first? Was that the first time you had been out with him, or, or you'd been around before? I've been around before. Okay, yeah. and I mean, there was. I think at the time, like Clarence, I think was was definitely like struggling, like a little bit, like was was physically uncomfortable sometimes on stage. And I think fans kind of thought that maybe you were there as an understudy. Was there any truth to that? Yeah, yeah. Clarence called me uh, before the Magic tour and told me he wasn't feeling well and wanted me to be around because of that. Now, that being said, I I basically wouldn't receive that notion of it. You know, right. it was like you're being ridiculous. Uh, of course, you're going to be here forever. Um, I'm happy to be here as moral support, and you know, I'm happy to be here as you need me. But like, you know, the 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 idea that uh, I might have to fill in was like not in my reference at all. Like it was not in my mental capacity. Right. <laughs> I mean, it it sounded like almost like he was maybe he was just afraid of having a really bad day and what would he do and he did, wouldn't want the show to have to be canceled and like hey I got <laughs> yeah. like I could bring my it was that was, do you think that that was that just it was sort of a like a security 
yeah, valve maybe. kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I know that he uh, was in a tremendous amount of pain for a long time and discomfort. And, um, you know, uh, he had a legitimate concern that, uh, you know, despite his vulnerability with me about it, I did not, uh, I didn't receive it as legitimate at the time. I, I knew he was, I knew he was hurting, but I didn't understand that, like, there's a possibility that we might lose him. Watching, you know, watching shows in that tour, like, you know, I mean, he, he, you know, he, I think he was, he was sitting, he was sitting down for parts of the show. I mean, you could see, and you could feel it. I think that I think fans were like rooting for him that that it was just, you know, it was tough. Everything was an effort. Um, what what was it like? Any, you know, and then it ended up being heroic every time that he came through. You know, yeah. uh, it was tough, and I can't. Remember. What was it like for you to? to kind of witness that it was hard man you know, yeah uh, even then it was it was hard because i knew what he was putting himself through um yeah uh, it was it was it was hard to watch you know like it, it's what he lived for but it cost him you know like it it cost him a lot of pain it cost him uh, a lot of joy and a lot of pain you know but he obviously had an ethos of just like I will put myself together and get myself on without stage. question. Yeah, yeah. I had seen him disassembled and then reassembled uh, on many occasions. You know, uh, <laughs> like Darth Vader. It's like al- yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like yeah. uh, he he had three hip replacements. Yeah. You know, like you have two hips. Right. He had to have one of his hip replacements replaced. Right. You know, sure. uh, yeah. two knee replacements, uh, a pacemaker. Um, his back fused, you know, like that. There was this, I used to jokingly call him the $6 billion man, you know, considering inflation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but it, it was still infinite, you know, like you would always just put the pieces back together again, you know? Um, I, I mean, I can remember like being by his bedside in the hospital and people would come in and think that he was like, like, is he going to come out of the hospital knowing that? Uh, come on! This is this is we've done this before. You know? Right, he bounces back. That's right. what he does. He wants he wants to be on that stage more than anything, and he'll do anything to, get to to make sure he's there. So, on some level, I guess you sort of felt like maybe he was invincible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he did you go so far as to learn some <laughs> some songs that on at that point in case you in, in in case he really did make you step in? No, no. So you no, weren't. No. Did you, uh, was I, that I a, sincerely did not believe that it would be a possibility for him not, to not be there. And it, it, is that even something he discussed with, <laughs> was that like sort of his own private idea that he never, do you think he discussed that with, with Bruce at the time? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's from, yeah, it doesn't seem like I didn't it, right? know, I didn't, yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't, I, was, I wasn't one to like, you know, ask him. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, because uh, again, <laughs> like to me, it wasn't even like a logical uh, thought, you know? Right. Um. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a memoir that has been released recently that yes. uh, you know uh, where you can clearly understand that it was not something that it was discussed before that. Yeah, there did seem to be a disconnect there. That's what I thought. Yeah, I mean that you can understand how in his mind he's like, I'm I'm going to work this. He, it was his it was his thing. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but that's you know, yeah. Clarence. Yeah, uh, was was Clarence Clement? You know, like yeah. that. <laughs> the world that existed around him was beautiful and amazing and. Uh, uh, simple in the most complex ways. Yeah. And it was a reality that uh, you would not find anywhere else. You know, it, it was an alternate universe almost. Yeah, he kind of bent the world to his will, it seems like. 
that seems like a really strong way to put it, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean like he, he, he existed in his own realm. Um, <laughs> and who did, did you get to know the band at that point or were you kind of just in Clarence world? I was in Clarence world. Yeah. You know? I mean like, uh, I was very familiar with the band. Like, I grew up calling them, you know, uncle Steve and uncle Bruce and you know, um, I was actually in grade school with Gary's niece, huh. uh, which is super bizarre. But, uh, yeah, you know, so I, it was still family, but you know, how well do you know your second cousins? You know, right, it's, uh, right. one of those things. I wanted to uh, jump back to the album for a second. Tell, uh, you know, we, we have the great advantage of, uh, here on the, <laughs> here in this audio medium of, of hearing music. Uh, what, to, what's, what is your, it's always a tough one, but what, what is your favorite song on the record? <laughs> like to, and we can play a little bit of it. Oh man. Uh, Come on, that's an impossible question. <laughs> All right, Sophie's so, choice what, here, man. <laughs> what, what, what song at this moment would you like to play for a little bit of? For uh, well, it, 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 it could be the one you hate the most at the moment. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know why not play the title track? You know that's uh, that's one that sums up uh, the crux. By the way, what's your name? In your eyes that you're full of regret. We should have said our goodbyes the first day that we met. <laughs> we should we should have said our goodbyes the first day we we met is uh, is is kind of rough. That's, that, that's <laughs> yeah. You know, I wanted to be as honest and vulnerable with uh, with this record as I could, and um, you know, for me, it's just a matter of like having to recognize the faults of. Uh, your capacity in the moment, you know, the faults of your capacity to love yourself and, and, and to love people around you. And, uh, yeah, it's just a very honest element. The, uh, who do you want to sing? Like, like who are your, your heroes as a, as a vocalist? Hmm. You know, I, uh, asked myself that question for a long time. Um, and, uh, I kind of stopped asking myself that altogether because, at the end of the day, like the greatest vocalists are the ones that you uh, hear and recognize immediately, you know, right? Um, trying to find your voice for me was not like a, a natural instinctive thing. I was afraid to sing for a long time. Um, and it wasn't until I was like 30 that I was as adventurous enough to like sing in front of people. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it, I think you're a very, a very unaffected and direct vocalist, actually, which I think is, is and it it's for a you know obviously you're you know you're super old but <laughs> but, but <laughs> no but i was gonna say but for a fir- but for a first album there's a certain like assuredness and uh may- may- maybe the fact that you're not 19 helps but it yeah. you know th- there is a certain assuredness and comfort and like sort of like i said lack of not because the, there's a there's a tendency for people on on in their early work to try too hard mm-hmm. you know especially vocally and, and you have you don't have that it's interesting Thank you. yeah uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, that this is this is my best attempt to just be me and and to be vulnerable. And uh, I definitely, I absolutely know what you're saying in, in terms of people like trying and and you know, you can recognize their uh, the people that they love to hear sing and 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 the influence of that. Um, uh, yeah, at this point in my life, I was fortunate enough to be beyond that and 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 just try to try to be honest. So were you were you like on tour when you're writing these songs? Yeah, I mean, I write all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, I'm gonna walk away from 
today and and probably write something. You know, <laughs> what is it? What is a tip? If you were on the road, when when would you? Where, when and where would you be writing? It's spontaneous. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like in a hotel room with a do you, do you demo yeah, set up a little band or like I yeah. set up a little studio in the yeah. hotel. You know, as I travel. But I also, I mean, there's been songs that I've written as I'm walking down the street and you know just put my phone in my face and and sing into it um, right very common yes yeah yeah yeah. it's, it's a, a cool experience because like from that you have to go back and learn the song right <laughs> to, like, learn how to play that <laughs> the playing you know being immersed in the 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 springsteen world how does that it must both inevitably influence your songwriting and also kind of pose something that you don't want to try to live up to or think about too much because you're talking about like one of the great songwriters of you know of the century yeah two centuries maybe uh and 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 you know you're doing your thing you don't want to kind of being like i have to live up to you know jungle land in my <laughs> first record so how, how do you kind of balance all that in your head uh well i guess in that uh context i thank god for uh you know the fact that greetings from asbury park uh, did not receive critical acclaim off sure. the bat and uh, the wild and innocent, you know, like it took yeah, a while yeah. for those to uh, be embraced by the greater masses. And uh, uh, that takes a lot of pressure off of young songwriters, I think, you know? Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, like there's certainly uh, a sense of, um, I don't know, the osmosis, you know, uh, that, that happens um, uh, where you're learning and, and, and growing as an artist. You know, having just toured the river record uh you know playing the the, the record every night in its entirety I, I think is uh really helped me to understand an even different level of of what uh a story is and 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 and, and becomes i had finished my record before that tour started um but it helped me to listen to my record differently and uh and i think it'll probably affect the way that i approach the next record yeah makes sense um, did, did have you played this record for Bruce? Uh, no, I um I very shyly uh, <laughs> handed it, or maybe like even like left it on the table. Um, <laughs> you know, because it's like slipped, I, it, slipped it under the. I door, wanted yeah. to have it, but like yeah. at the same time, I don't, I don't. I'm happy to hear if he loves it, but I I don't I don't I don't need to hear that necessarily either. You know, I, you didn't make it for him. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, and yeah. and. Yeah. I think living under the fear of whether or not people are going to embrace it um, is going to affect your ability to create. And uh, yeah, so uh, maybe he'll listen to it. Maybe he won't. <laughs> but it is what it is. You know. How long has he had it now? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's a good point. Actually, he has not. He has not. He has not told me that he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> check, check, check your phone maybe the emails in there. but uh <laughs> um but i think i mean it it, it it doesn't feel like a debut it feels like you're a little deeper in and again i think it's because you're an experienced musician maybe you uh, know well you know i i released an ep uh, a few years ago um that was intended to be a full length uh and that was an experience in itself you know, this is a very different sound and experience from that um but you know, like I think, just the process of being around other songwriters and and, and being a musician uh, that's facilitating a certain role and being able to observe, uh, I would hope, has like greatly affected and influenced um, what I was able to bring to the table with this record. I want to to pick up the narrative we were on. the The last show of Work and Dream Tour was in Buffalo. 
Um, and I, I happened to be there. I actually, I, 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 I think I interviewed uh, Bruce there that night for our, like our end of decade uh, issue. Uh, and it was a great show. Um, it was also like, I guess there was one other show, but it was the last kind of tour show with Clarence. So, I mean, did, did you feel anything that night? Did you did any memories? Were, were, were you any sense that any foreboding anything or, or did no. it just, yeah, no, just no. another show. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're, uh, an E Street fan, then the question of, um, like, will this be the last tour has probably been there since 1999. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> since that, that, that blood brothers reunion tour happened, you know, like, will this happen again? It's probably been a question for a long time. So that sense is probably always been looming, but uh, it's so it's so fun. I, I can't do the mental leap to think of you as, a, a, but yes, you were that too. You were a fan among many other things. You were, sure. you know, a, a friend and relative to the band, but but also a fan. A fan yeah. So that 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 again makes this your this whole narrative all the more crazy, I guess. <laughs> uh, that so. So then, I mean, you know, to, to leap ahead and how, how, how many people have asked you <laughs> about, about the, the account in, in Bruce's memoir so far? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> so, you get, so, so do you want to add? The moment you, I read that, I knew yeah. I was never getting away You're from never, that one. It's going to live forever. Uh, did he warn you in advance of, about the, uh, <laughs> I got a note, um, the day he sent me the book saying hey there's a funny story in there i think you'll enjoy it <laughs> honestly i don't know if he intended it to be received the way that it has been um just given the context of the conversation that we had you know uh i think that uh uh well i think people are probably ta- if, if if people are, are, are people, i don't think people should take it too seriously i mean as far as like, some people take it seriously yeah 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 <laughs> yeah but uh you know nonetheless you know it's a it it, it is a it was an an intense moment and an uh, an intense day. And beyond like what's written, I'm saying like like the realities that that, that were around it. You know, um, yeah. everything leading up to that moment. You know, it it was a uh, a hot plate, if you will. You know, there's lots of uh, of things that were swirling around. And that day for me uh, is epic. I mean, like I'm biblical proportions. You know, it was one of those days that literally everything goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, and how do you recover from that? You know, like that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you know, the portrait of an underdog story that Bruce wrote in that chapter uh, is, uh, I, I lived it in a very real way. <laughs> See, uh, I mean, if I had to psychoanalyze it, but maybe that, that maybe you had some conflict in you about wanting to do this. And maybe if, if you didn't like super prepare, maybe that was why, because you weren't sure if you wanted to take on the burden and, and allow this to, cause it, it's, it, it's a life changing thing. It is to a certain extent, stepping into those shoes. It's a lot, a lot going on there. And I could see why maybe you would be conflicted. Well, for sure. I mean, that's, or maybe you just fucked up. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a keen observation, yeah. but you also yeah. have to remember that, that, that you're reading it from the context of, of, of what Bruce saw. Right. right. So, um, on the other side of it, it is a, a moment where it was like, uh, the two weeks, uh, like, you know, during like two to three weeks, like around Christmas break, right. Between like, I don't know, the middle of December to, uh, new years and, uh, having not learned anything related to E Street with the intention of like distancing myself as a professional musician. Right. Um, to then being asked to uh to delve into learning the fine details of the of, of the notes and the intention and and carrying the the weight of uh reconciling 
reconciling the, the, the loss that I felt, you know, um, with Clarence and absolutely questioning whether or not it was even appropriate and how Clarence would feel about it, despite what he'd asked me to do in the past. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot. It, it was a lot. It was a lot. And, uh, you know, contrary to what, what you read, uh, <laughs> Not that that observation was not accurate yeah. on on Bruce's behalf, but I was uh, I spent hours um, preparing for that day, right. uh, and uh, and there was a lot of work that that went into it. But on a day like that day, yeah, when like uh, there's essentially like a, a, a lunar eclipse <laughs> of my of my of my being, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, like the light was blocked out completely where I, you know, like I, I, you know, the phone goes dead, it, you know, your directions get confused. Right. Uh, there's already anxiety. Well, uh, well I will say having one, having been done interviews at Bruce's house, the GPS, I don't know if it's, the GPS has trouble finding his, his house. I don't know if you had that, but I, I, I didn't have GPS. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, right, you know, my yeah. phone died. <laughs> so I was, you know, in, right. in, in, in an unfortunate place yeah. at the moment, but, uh, you know, eventually it got there and, yeah. uh, and what transpired, transpired, but there's so many ironic things around it. Um, that, that I think were appropriate for what I was being, uh, asked to do ultimately, you know, it, it set the stage, uh, in a way that I think is really appropriate. You know, that, that what we were embarking on was going to require like a complete dismantling of, uh, my relationship to, the band and the music and you know uh what i was being asked to do leading up to that point you know so had in your playing before that because now i mean every as everyone i'm probably sick of saying but you you're while when you improvise you know you have your own style and i can hear it's you and it's obviously but when you do play his parts uh you sound like him, you know, I mean, you know, you sound like him. So mm-hmm. did you, had you, did you recognize a similarity in styles before this yeah. or, or did you did? Okay. Yeah. yeah. There was yeah. no getting away from that. And it yeah. wasn't intentional. I mean, even yeah. in my early career when I like changed my professional name yeah. to distance myself from the legacy that could have potentially uh, been the end of my um, professional career. Yeah. Um, uh, even then, people would come to me and say, "Wow, man, you really like you sound like Clarence Clemens." Yeah, and uh, and it wasn't offensive at all. Yeah, uh, you know, I, you know, I was happy to hear that. I mean, it was it always felt ironic, you know, because they had no idea of the connection there. I think your note choices when you improvise are clearly come from a different place, mm-hmm. um, but it's the it's the actual sound. Mm-hmm. It's the sound of the notes, and that seems how is that. <laughs> How is that? How can that be? Because I've heard. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. For example, I'm, I've heard. You know, you, I've heard good cover bands. You know, good sax players, great mm-hmm. saxophone play. You know, the the solo from Jungle Land, or you, you know, and they sound fine. They know, but they don't have that fat body, that particular sound. So what? How does that? <laughs> how is well, that you know, uh, the thing that Clarence gave me early on um, was a direction in terms of like letting your soul speak, you know, um, like letting it come from your, like the depths of who you are. And, uh, in that sense, like you're not, you're not, your approach isn't to make a specific sound. It's just coming out of you. So 
that is what it is. So I don't there's know. something ineffable about it. There's something that it, it, you you can't basically you can't really explain it. Then it, it's just. Yeah, I mean, like it, yeah. you, you, you cut your gut open and see what comes out. You know, that's that's what you got. <laughs> yeah, um, I, one one of the Marsalis brothers wrote that great essay about Clarence and, and about mm-hmm. how it's it's about the power of musical intention and mm-hmm. how how it's how it's you know because I, I think a lot of like jazz guys kind of like might have looked down on him and not really understood the power of what he did. Yeah, and it, but it's a whole different thing as as marsalis wrote it's just like it like it's about force and and intention and and it's like and like your lips will hurt by the time by the end of the evening like if you try to do it it's it's about feeling more than it is about hearing yeah uh and it it, and it's i mean i assume you can play if if you know you you could play a bunch of like jazz notes and stuff if if you wanted to but but you're, you're 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 sticking in the vein of Clarence and the E Street Band to 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 the largest extent possible when you're up there. Well, for me, I spend a lot of time researching like uh, the intention behind the notes. Like when I say researching, I mean like like listening to every single inflection that Clarence was putting in there, so that I could understand what he wanted to say. Um, because I didn't want that to be lost. I wanted to be able to convey. The I was hoping to be able to convey this uh, the same message, you know, um, and, and to find that voice. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, I hope that's what's in there. So you recorded the, the the album in like a whole bunch of studios. Why <laughs> why why is that? Uh, I think it's one of the great things that we have. Uh, you know, the realities of today that you can uh, that it, that's that becomes easy to do. And cities all over, I should mention. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's an aspect of like. Uh, when you're recording a record, you're pulling in from that area as well. Yeah, there's there's a there's a fingerprint of uh, uh, of the geolocation that you're in and 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 the the community that you're you're around as well. So I think it's a great aspect of it to uh, to be able to I don't know let the album be diverse in that sense. But the majority of it was recorded in a town called Belleville, Ontario, in Canada. Why um, there? Uh, well, for one, I love the idea of like going somewhere to record. Um, and uh, there's a theater there. It's called the Empire Theater, and uh, we tracked it on stage there. Huh. Um, it, it was purely for recording purposes. It was not a live experience, but um, it's got a great, great sound in the room, and the stage uh, you know, has it just has a great sound to it. So uh, it turned out to be the perfect place to, to to track the majority of the record. That's uh, it's interesting because you're probably you're also probably most comfortable on a stage. I bet that probably yeah, but it wasn't really set up to be. Um, we weren't set up on stage as though we were performing a show, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's uh, a dark room, a large dark room. (laughs) You know, it's not something that's typically uh you're gonna find for for recording purposes. But uh, yeah, it it was very appropriate. I want to take you back to somewhere somewhere around is like a, a you know the Apollo Theater show there's like a poster in the lobby here uh, that we see every time we're up here uh and that was your first show with the East Street Band and there was that moment I think it was Badlands when you when you stepped uh and again I was there I guess I've been just following around um and and uh, I remember the moment and it was a very powerful thing when we were in Badlands and Bruce writes about in his book as well that that uh, you know, the moment came for the sax solo, and you, you step up to the microphone and you played it. I mean, what what was going through your head <laughs> at that moment? Yeah, I was very much in the moment. Yeah, um, yeah trying my best not to be caught up in uh, you know emotionally, which was 
virtually impossible, I guess, to be honest. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to I, I wanted to represent uh, Clarence as best as I could, and 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 I was just very aware of that. So I was fortunate enough to run into a a, a small disaster in the moment where uh, it's the first time people were going to be hearing uh, my saxophone independently in this enormously important solo. And, uh, I went and gave myself a little test, uh, on the horn to just to make sure that it was working and it, and it didn't, did not work. Uh, it was not working. So I had to do an emergency switch, um, literally like seconds leading up to that saxophone solo. And, uh, if there's a YouTube video somewhere, you could probably see the, uh, the intense panic on my face, but, uh, which also allowed me to completely like, uh, disconnect from, uh, any kind of uh overwhelming emotional sense right you know leading up to that first note you know it was uh it was just like we need to get this thing done you know so what's it like in general being you know the the young guy in the e street band how how does that how does that kind of affect everything just from you know being the the designated guy to run around with bruce to just uh, socially and how how's that all kind of well, it's not necessarily designated. I, I love doing that. You yeah. know, it's, uh, I'm interacting with the audience is what I live for, you know, in that setting. Um, so, uh, if that wasn't the case, I don't, I don't think that I would be asked to do that, but, uh, I don't know, just in general, as a, uh, like I said, I've known these guys my whole life and, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of an old soul in some ways, you know, and, uh, <laughs> I, I often joke, I like, think that the only backstage setting that's like, more uh laid back and like you know like less rock rock starish than the east streets is is mine (laughs) (laughs) the only backstage environment you're gonna go to that's like uh more shocking in how in its conservatism is 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 my backstage (laughs) well i I always say that that you know the they call it backstage for a reason everything good happens on stage backstage backstage for the most part is super boring actually but yeah 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 it's not These the days. 80s anymore thank exactly. god but uh <laughs> so this is rolling stone music now we've been talking with jake clemens about life on east street and about his great new solo album fear and love and that's our show for today be sure to download our podcast at rollingstone.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and come listen to us next week on volume at 1 p.m on friday See you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.